We're speaking today from the beautiful city of San Francisco, and we're speaking with Jeremy Stone, founder and principal of Business Matters in the Visual Arts, an art advisory service that provides appraisals, expert witness services, and other services related to the business of the art world. And through her company, Coleman Stone, she also provides guidance in negotiating the consignment process to buy and sell art privately through galleries, art advisors, and auction houses. Jeremy, I know that appraisals represent an important part of your service. Can you take us through what's involved in getting work appraised? Why are appraisals important? And how are they used? Well, Kate, that's a great question. Um, appraising is a fascinating and illuminating process about objectivity, something few people really operate with in the art world or in their daily lives. I will try to give you a very quick overview and answer your question at the end. Collectors buy art that excites and moves them, that they want to live with and that they love. Corporations buy art to enhance the public image of their company, make their workplace more dynamic, uplifting, and desirable to their clients and for their employees. Gallery owners dedicate their lives to exhibiting, representing, and selling work by artists that they are passionate about and believe in. Artists have a work ethic that demands constant process and creation. Over the span of an artist's productive career in their studio, their work will have many different periods focuses, subject matter, and phases. There will be work that never leaves the studio or is painted over. Artists need to experiment, take risks, and work. As Alfred Leslie went from an abstract expressionist and filmmaker to a photorealist painter, many other artists are interdisciplinary and work in many different medias, like William Kentridge. Kentridge draws, paints, makes films, sculptures, installations, and sound-based pieces that incorporate all of his ideas. Each aspect of his work has a different market demand and pricing and varying degrees of popularity in the collector and museum world. With all of this love and passion and obsession, it is hard to remember that this is also in fact a business, the art business. Art is a huge economy and driving force internationally. A Diebenkorn Ocean Park painting bought for $12,000 in 1960 has today a fair market value of $8 million. How do I know this? I looked up this particular painting and artist on the internet, the auction databases, and I spoke with galleries that represent and sell this period of work by this artist. I researched what galleries represented his work, called several galleries in different cities. I gathered the data for my client. Objectively, other people have paid prices set for his work at a gallery exhibition, and the galleries have concrete sales data and tell me his current prices for work of that period as well as his newer work. The artist has a track record from prior shows and sales. This is the gallery market level, and art fairs are an incredibly important part of a gallery's opportunity to meet new clients and expand their client base, expand their sales. The ecosystem of the art world includes artists, curators, art consultants, and advisors, art historians, students, art service industry professionals, such as conservators, museums, gallery staff, 
administrators, auction houses, art departments, and colleges and art schools, attorneys, insurance companies, foundations, executors of artists' estates, the IRS, and their art advisory committee, and fine art appraisers. We all work together constantly in a variety of ways. So who needs art appraisals? We all do. It's an independent, objective, professional method of identifying and analyzing sales data, estimating the depth and range of financial information regarding art's current value in the marketplace. Clients, collectors need this, whether they have something extraordinarily valuable or something that they love that is in a moderate price range. We have a lot of clients who are in their 60s and in their 50s that have parents who have art collections and they are trying to help their parents or their parents are trying to make decisions, what to gift to their grandchildren, what to leave their family, what to sell before they depart, what to donate to museums. It's a part of estate planning, even if the art that their parents own is not radically or fabulously expensive, it is a part of their assets. It's a part of um, their life that they need to make decisions about. And if they don't make decisions, well, then the IRS takes 50%. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so a lot of people don't like that prospect, and they really want to plan ahead or give a painting that they love to a particular child or grandchild that loves it. And so getting an independent appraisal is a way of for a collector in their 70s or 80s to say, I found out what this is worth, and I know you all love it, and I'm going to give 10% ownership of, of it to each of you, so you all equally own this, and it's out of my estate. There are many different things that we do with art appraisals. We enable people to have the information that they need to make good decisions about selling, gifting, donating, um, keeping the work, um, conserving the work because it needs conservation, whatever is needed, they have the information to make that decision for themselves and their families. And they use that information in conversations with their attorneys, state attorneys, with their CPAs, um, to come up with a plan that they feel really good about. And so that's part of what appraisals are for. Some people want to hedge against risk move art into the tr a trust, create a trust, sell, gift, donate to a museum. That is what a fair market value appraisal is for. Fair market value is for sales advice, gifting, charitable donation. Replacement value appraisals are for insurance coverage or loss. Okay. And that's important too. Fires, theft, water damage, the unimaginable. Many people say, Jeremy, I'm not worried about my art being stolen. Who would steal this painting? It's 10 feet by eight feet. And I look at them and say, I'm not worried about theft either. I am worried about a leak in your roof or a fire. That's what I'm worried about. And um, unimaginable accidents, klutzy friends and neighbors, rambunctious, adorable grandchildren, clueless teenagers, a well-meaning housekeeper, and house guests of moral, dubious integrity. Can you give me an example from your vast experience well, of, of an unimaginable um, event? I heard in great detail about a heated game of ping pong at a collector's home, and to make the shot, one enthusiastic house guest backs up, makes the shot, 
but loses his balance and falls backwards into a valuable blue chip painting, a 1960s Tebow. This happened. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, the D-ring on a very large and beautiful um, Diebenkorn painting comes loose, pulls the nail, holding it away from the wall. The painting falls forward and crashes into some furniture. Was it insured for the original purchase price 10 years ago and never updated for current replacement value? Yes, this happened. <laughs> so... Um, Replacement value appraisals for insurance coverage need to be updated every five years. Some artists okay. have markets that are really moving quite briskly, and the market can change dramatically for certain artists. For example, the Diebenkorn painting I just mentioned was insured for $2 million. It was reappraised for $11 million replacement value after conservation two months after the accident. Um, at any market level, any appraisal is valid only for a certain period of time. It's not good indefinitely for the next 20 years, and a lot of it has to do with condition. A bathtub or sink can overflow in an upper floor of a home, sending destruction to the stories below. In San Francisco, like many other beautiful view cities, uh, many people have their kitchens on the top floor of their houses, and their living rooms on the top floor of their houses where they entertain and four-story houses that are built into the sides of very steep hills, like in Sausalito. Roofs with skylights are known to leak. My first water damage appraisal report in 1992 was an artist's commercial studio building, the process of being re-roofed. It rained, all the rain came in, everything in the artist's studio was moistened. <laughs> so... You have painters sanding the outsides of houses that can cause a fire, which sends soot, large quantities of soot, into a house with a large private art collection all over all the paintings and sculptures throughout the residence. Conservation was needed to clean the surfaces of all of the paintings and sculptures. Things happen. Dogs, do you have dogs? Dogs love to chew on things. Shoes, contemporary sculpture. There are these terrific Catherine Spence sculpture installation pieces that look like a group of pigeons standing on the ground, but they're made of newspaper. Wouldn't that be just the thing you think a chocolate lab would want to chew on? So if it's for insurance coverage and, lit and litigation related to loss, you want a written replacement value appraisal report by a qualified independent appraiser, accredited fine art appraiser with zero conflict of interest. No past, present, or future interest in the work of art. So what is replacement value? If you had to replace this work of art, if you wanted to replace it, could you? And at what price? Um, the definition of replacement value comparable is the price in terms of cash that would be required to replace a property with another of similar age, quality, origin, appearance, and condition within a reasonable length of time in an appropriate and relevant market. Intangible provenance is value is added as needed. That means if you own a painting and it has been lent to a retrospective of work by this artist that was at the Tate, or at the National Gallery, or any museum, or any traveling show. A work of art that has been in a museum show or in a catalog has more cachet and desirability than a work that has not. So if you have a work of art that's been lent to several museum shows and traveled around the country, and curator after curator says, this piece, we would love to borrow it. It's such a 
great example of this artist's work. That piece, that work of art will have more value because of its inclusion. In Sounds these, to me like you should say yes. Yes, right. you should say absolutely <laughs> yes. So the people that buy a work of art and just keep it in their house and can't bear to lend it to anything and don't want to lend it because they love it so much and they're so worried about something happening to it, I understand that kind of love and protectiveness, but lending it could also add to um, its value as an asset as well. And so that is something where it's the risk factor. You have to be willing to take that risk and think that those museum people are going to really pack it and protect it pretty well and uh, really allow a lot of other people to love that work and see it too. So that's part of what enhances the value when you do an appraisal. You look at those factors. And we collect data of comparable works of art by that artist when we do our research. Is the artist prolific? Is the artist still alive? Is it a unique work? Is it a multiple? If it is a multiple, how big is the addition? The larger the addition, the lower the value. Small additions are more desirable. If it's a unique, one-of-a-kind piece, it will always be more valuable. That leads to rarity in both prints and sculptures. What is the market demand for this artist at galleries, auctions, art fairs? Those are questions an appraiser can answer objectively. Was it a commission? Where did you buy the piece? How did it come into your possession? That's always one of the first questions we ask someone who calls us and wants an appraisal. How did it come into your possession? Was it a gift? Did your parents own it? Do you have receipts or paperwork showing when it was bought and how much it was paid for? When um, authenticity comes into play and is an issue, as it often is, mm -hmm. uh, an invoice that is kept, correspondence that is kept, past appraisals, these are all the breadcrumbs to grandma's house that we all want when we're doing our research about what happened with this work of art from the time it left the artist's studio till it went into this person's art collection. Was it exhibited at a gallery? Was it resold? Did it travel around? When we do an appraisal and there's no paperwork and it's never been seen before, they just found it in the attic, we kind of have to scratch our heads a little bit mm -hmm. because you really want to authenticate. It's not my job as an appraiser to authenticate things, but the uh, provenance, the ownership trail. It went to one person and another. Often many works of art have labels on the back, which is really helpful. The different galleries that have exhibited the work will have labels on the back and museums will put labels on the back. And I love taking art off the wall and looking at the back because it's, it's history. Where has it been? Who's had it? And all of those things help with the authentication process if there is any doubt. Sometimes when we do some appraisals, we have to unframe the works of art and look for an estate stamp, look for a signature on the back of the piece. It's very important sometimes to unframe a piece, take pictures of the inside and the back, and then reframe it because that is how you know it has either the artist's signature or estate stamp or some critical piece of information that is important in the evaluation process. So am I 
Am I telling you too much? <laughs> <laughs> That's not at all. You certainly are selling me on the fact that um, appraisals are important. And yes. if you have valuable works of art, you need them. Yes, yes, you do. And I think everybody um, that has art, if you have wor art, works of art in your home that are worth more than $5,000, your insurance company will want a written appraisal by an art appraiser for them to cover it and to schedule it. So um, we use fair market value for charitable contributions, giving art to museums and other nonprofit organizations that qualify. The IRS scrutinizes these reports carefully to make sure the work is not overvalued or inflated for tax deduction purposes, God forbid. And each donation report, you must have supporting facts and arguments to value. You have to show them what you're basing your opinion on. Um, and this is something you need to discuss with your CPA and your tax advisor, sure. what makes sense for you. Estate planning, what to keep, what to sell, what to gift, what to donate. Best done before you need it. Gifting art into trusts or generational planning, fractional gifting, fair market value. Collateral loans, this is coming up a lot now. Collateral loans are becoming increasingly popular for collectors of important and well-known artists to get substantial short-term loans from banks and mortgage companies. A fair market value appraisal is what they want. We've had people who call us up that want to get a $5 million loan against uh, some major blue chip art in their collection because they're buying and selling shopping centers. And they have really important art. And there are banks now that make a business of these kinds of collateral loans using blue chip art. It's a very big area. Do people use these loans to buy more art? Sometimes. Absolutely. Sometimes they use it to buy more art. That's true. It's not just for real estate or business deals. Sometimes they're using it to buy more art. Absolutely, Kate. That's a very good point. Division of property, which is otherwise known as D-I-V-O-R-C-E, is a fair market value appraisal, and when dividing assets in a community property state such as California, the art is valued at fair market value for division, and uh, that is often just the art that has been acquired by the couple during the course of their marriage, and that's an important uh, tool for them to make dis discussions and conversations about who wants to keep what and who wants to sell what and you know it's it's a part of their um what they need to make decisions about so irs estate tax reports the uncle uncle sam he is a little more than interested in the art you have owned as a part of your total estate fair market value is effective the date of death of the decedent the gift tax percentage due is much lower than the estate tax rate so unless you prepare in advance, your estate may need to sell art in order to pay the estate taxes. And that's kind of a terrible, panicky, stressful mm -hmm. position for people who are grieving to, do, to deal with. So that's something I always try to encourage clients of mine that are over any age to talk to their estate attorney about. You know, And we have a, I have a lot of clients in their 80s, and they really... Are thinking about these things even though they don't want to be thinking about these things um, and they don't often trust their children to make these decisions sometimes they want to make these decisions they think well my you know my daughter my son they don't really they're not that interested in art um, they don't want the art 
you know, they wouldn't know what to do. I need to take care of it now for them. It will make things much easier for them. So sales advice. Having this information helps the owner in negotiating consignment agreements with galleries and auction houses or completing private sales. And so in determining replacement value or fair market value, an art appraiser must gather recent sales data and limit the sales comparables to, you know, who's the artist, what period, is there any demand for this artist at all? Were they really big in the 80s and nobody's interested in them anymore? Are they still popular? There are a lot of artists that really hit it in the 80s that the, the market's a little softer now. There are other, other works of art and other artists have taken the forefront of the market by storm. Art can be very fickle. There's, um, there are people that sustain the test of time and continue to, their prices go up and up and up. And there are other artists that that things have changed for them. They got Guggenheims and big museum shows early in their careers, and the later years are a little quieter. Okay. So um, their market could be softened, it could be saturated. An appraiser will have to deliver that bad news to the owner or the collectors. Ouch, ouch. ouch. Was it a promising artist that changed careers and stopped making art? A famous actor or musician that also liked to paint, like Martin Mull, Sylvester Stallone, Joni Mitchell, Jerry Garcia, or John Lennon. Celebrity artists have their place in the art world. And as we all know, Julian Schnabel started out as a rock star artist, but then moved into filmmaking, interior design, and now real estate development in New York. Provenance was your piece. We talked about this already. Lent to museum shows. We talked about authenticity, condition. Excellent or very good condition is critical to desirability. The market demand for faded, rippled, torn, warped art with visible stains, dirt, or mold is surprisingly low. <laughs> Poor condition negatively impacts fair market value. The date of creation is critical. If this is not visible on your work of art, it may be on the back, but it will be on a sales invoice from a gallery or an auction house. Most artists have periods of creation that are more highly valued and desired than others. Are the sales comparables close to the date of creation? A painting by Wayne Thiebaud that is done in 2012 or 2014 has a different market demand than a painting from the 1960s or the 1970s. Same thing with Picasso. There's certain periods of Picasso, certain periods of the pop artists, things made in the 60s have a different resonance or market demand because it was the beginning. It was the seminal work. Subject matter. Is it characteristic of the artist? his or her signature style and early work as they were developing. The subject matter is really a big part of it. Media, is it watercolor, gouache, acrylic, oil, aquatint, lithograph, monotype, bronze, addition, ceramic, iron, steel, ephemeral or temporary material, film, video, performance. What do you call a Tony Orsler? It's a sculpture, but it's got film integrated into it. Scale. If the scale, size of the sales comparable is not close, adjustments can be made upward or downward by a mathematical equivalency to approximate the ratio of scale to value. But it's really about the powerfulness of the piece and how iconic and characteristic it is. That's really what's critical. So what can you do? What can your clients do? Get ready. Plan ahead. <laughs> Call or write a fine art appraiser with at least two to four months lead time, if possible, or more. Uh, good appraisers are busy. 
and they have a lot of repeat business. You can't call an appraiser with one week's notice and think you're going to achieve your deadline, particularly with charitable contributions, estate tax, IRS, large groups of work. Be realistic about expectations. Appraisals are time-consuming research and writing projects, and turnaround can, is rarely less than three to four weeks. With larger groups of work, it can easily take two to three months. Organize all your documents and receipts, loan forms, past insurance, papers, articles, reviews, correspondence relating to the artwork and the work of art. Copy all of these papers which give information about your art. It will cost you less time and money and assist the appraiser. It is not cheating and it is not a test. <laughs> Some people want you to come to their house and they don't want to give you any information. They want you just to look at it and they don't want to help you because they think that's cheating. It's not cheating. It just costs you so much more money to re-research everything about the piece. The more information we are working with, the more there is to analyze. It doesn't mean that we don't do our own independent research. We definitely do. But the more informed we are and the more information we have at our fingertips, the better able we are to um, pinpoint where this work should fall in a, in a really, you know, in a strong value range. Uh, we like doing detective work. Whatever the reason for the appraisal, the process is the same. The appraiser must come view the work in person and write a condition report. Photographs have to be taken, measurements confirmed, signatures checked and verified. Working from photographs is really ill-advised and undesirable. It could be a great photograph. It could be a terrible photograph. There is so much information that can only be documented and learned from an in-person examination of the work. Appraiser is someone who is trained, experienced, and skillful at research and looks at art through professional eyes. It is like being a detective, an art detective, which is why I love it. So how do you select an appraiser? Great question. How, how, how do you find an appraiser? Uh, to get the relevant sales information, an art appraiser must be methodical, experienced, knowledgeable, trusted, discreet. This is confidential information. Have access to non-public information. Have scholarship and insight into the art market. The appraiser must know the market layers, and there are many layers, like an onion. Appraisers are paid by the hour and not a percentage of the value of the art, just like a lawyer. To find a qualified art appraisal, look at the national organizations that have memberships that test and accredit art appraisers, like the American Society of Appraisers. Um, they have a national and international network and regional chapters of members with, with specialties. Um, ASA has required classes and continuing education requirements. Senior appraisers review and critique reports, administer art history tests, and USPAP tests. USPAP is the Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice. It's a comprehensive set of standards that inform and guide the attitude and concept of contemporary appraisal practice. The standards specifically address procedures to be followed in the development and performance of an appraisal review or consulting service, as well as the manner in which the results of that process and appraisal report are communicated. So your niece who's got a BA in art history, I bet she is smart as all get out, but she may not be the right person to do an appraisal. Your friend's wife who loves art not necessarily the right person to write an appraisal report. 
Your appraiser has to have access and two in good relationships with an international network of galleries, private dealers, auction houses to obtain sales information on artists whose sales market is stronger in other countries. The auction sales are only half of the story. Why is Mel Ramos so popular in Germany? There are artists that are doing gangbusters in Europe that their market is softer in other places. So there are excellent art appraisers in major cities in Europe, Asia, Canada, Latin America, throughout the U.S. It's an international profession. We travel. Many clients have multiple homes and offices. Appraisers of fine art often travel to where our clients need us to inspect works of art for appraisal. So we might have clients in San Francisco that have homes in Palm Springs. They have homes in Hawaii. They have an apartment in New York. There we go. And then we can do one report about all of the art for them and their insurance company or if they have a collection manager. Um, people that have more modest art collections still may be in another city, but may call an appraiser they trust, that they want to come and do their appraisal, even if they don't live in the same city, because they trust them. And they know they'll be discreet, and they're comfortable with that person. So that happens. You don't have to be collecting Rothko or Frankenthaler or Henry Moore or Picasso or Matisse or Francis Bacon or Frank Stella or Walhall. You know, if questions remain in your mind about the type of appraisal you may need, think about permanence versus temporary information. Replacement value is about hedging your risks of loss or damage to your art. Fair market value is to assist in sales decisions, gifts, estates, and taxes. So that's my, there are a lot of websites with information about appraisals. And I think what everybody has to remember is objectivity and independence are key. Auction houses have an inherent conflict of interest in offering their appraisal services, even if they offer them for free, which they do to people whose work they want. It's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. They offer free appraisals, but their thought is they know what you have now. And they're going to try to get you to consign it to them so they can sell it and they can make money on your art. So art's an addiction and a passion, but don't forget the business part so that you can protect the beautiful art that you value. Gosh. Um, Jeremy, you have given us uh, a really fascinating insight into not just appraisals, but, but the really the the business of art um and um i haven't even had a chance yet to ask you about consigning and downsizing but mm -hmm. i think we will leave that for another interview <laughs> okay. but before we close i cannot resist asking you this as the daughter of alan stone one of the 20th century's most legendary dealers and collectors. What was it like growing up in the center of the art world? And from your unique perspective, Jeremy, what is the secret sauce that motivates and drives art collectors? Wow, that's a, that's a big, big, big question. <laughs> um, I would say that having grown up in an environment where um, my both of my parents were really passionate about art, we were always hanging shows. We were always working, okay? We were always climbing up on ladders, banging nails, hanging shows. We were always 
um, moving art around, delivering art, going to artist studios, looking at art. Um, we were really taught that growing up that art was an essential and important core of our lives and that artists were incredibly important people and that looking at their work and helping them sell their work so they could make a living from their art was a very important role that uh, my father loved, he absolutely loved, and that the exhibitions, the changing exhibitions, and the, um, the curating of the gallery was something that was fascinating to me, how you selected artists and how you uh, introduced their work to collectors. And the collectors were people really, I thought, that were curious and interested and wanted to see work and learn about not only who were these artists they were hearing about, but what excited them? What made them? What art moved them? What did they want to live with? What did the art make them feel? And in many ways, the art collector is somebody who looks at art not as decoration for their home, but as something that is a vital component of their life. And yes, it costs money and it's an investment, but that it, it, it is a, it's a passion for them as well, that it's a passion for them and it's something that brings them great pleasure and enjoyment and meaning in their lives. And whether the art is in their offices, their homes, wherever it is, there's one collector that has art on his boat and some people put art in their airplanes, but there are people like the couple that worked at the uh, U.S. Post Office that had a very modest income and a very modest budget, yet had a little tiny one-bedroom apartment in New York City that was rent-controlled that they were passionate, and they bought art that they could afford, and it was it gave them great joy and pleasure, and it was a shared value in their marriage. And many times, collecting art and looking at art is... Um, a shared value in many families or among collectors. And there are some collectors that introduce it to their corporations and it becomes a shared value for all of the employees. When I opened my gallery in 1982, there was a collector who came in and loved art and would buy three or four pieces and bring them back to his firm and hang them. And then everybody that worked at the firm would come tearing over to my gallery to see what this artist, because this, this particular individual was so respected for his eye and uh, his uh, passion for art. So that somebody that collects art can influence not only a whole company, but um, set a tone or a, um, a feeling that art is an essential part of their corporate value or the value of what they want to share in the mood an image of their company. But I do think for most people buying art, it's not a need, it's a desire. Interesting. Okay? It's a desire. And some people will say, I need art. I'm an art junkie. I need art. But it's a desire as well. It's because it does something for them. It really brings them a sense of um, meaning in their lives and a sense of, you know, just visual joy. Fantastic. Jeremy, we learned a lot today. I feel like we've only scratched the surface of your knowledge, so uh, we'll be back okay. um, and ask you for another interview in the near future. Um, but for now, I want to thank you 
for being on Tanager Talks. Thank you very much for inviting me to talk with you, Kate. Okay, thanks.